Chapter 2 of Our Western Birds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Our Western Birds by Elizabeth and Joseph Grinnell. The Morning Dove. Like all the pigeon family, the morning dove has a very small head set on broad shoulders. Any child would recognize it at a glance. As for its song, its name describes it. A sad, coo, very low or quite loud and strong. It is sometimes a sweet note with less of the sadness, but it is true that the voice of the morning dove never cheers a person up like that of the flicker and the robin. The nesting season of this dove is from February to September. The nest itself is a flat structure with no attempt on the part of the builders to show skill or beauty. Just a few sticks and straws, and it is done. It may be on the ground, or in low bushes, or higher in the trees. And the eggs are only two of a spotless white. Both parent birds feed the young by regurgitating the food they have themselves eaten and partially digested. You will seldom see morning doves in compact flocks like the blackbirds and finches, they are most often in pairs or in groups of four or six. They are very fearless during the season in which they are protected by law, and are sometimes seen with the hens in the barnyards or in stubble fields close to the farmhouse. They are ground birds and get their living by what they pick up, seeds and grains and perhaps some fruits like grapes and berries. A pair of morning doves are true and faithful to each other, and are said to be mated for life. But the life of any dove in the West may be very short indeed. From August 1st to February 1st, they are hunted and shot without mercy. During the summer, they were so happy and so tame. They would come to drink at fountains and streams, right in your sight, and often fly past you so near you could have touched them. But one morning there came a sudden fright to the trustful little doves, and before they knew what was happening, a dozen shots were in the air, and as many fluttering birds fell dead. Mates were separated, parents and children were lost to one another, and those who escaped on that morning were hunted the next day. It doesn't take very long to thin out the morning doves in the hunting season, so we cease to see them about our homes and in the open fields and on the mesas. They and the quail retire farther and farther away and learn to keep very still and out of sight. They grow to be very alert and wary, seeming to recognize the sound of a shotgun from a long distance. And well they know what the loud report may mean. It is a sad time of the year, and nobody seems to get any pleasure out of all the killing, save the hunters, and they call it sport. We have heard of several attempts to domesticate the morning doves, but they are said to be unusually afraid and to refuse to be tamed, even when they are petted and fed for a long while. There was something very wonderful happened to us a year ago. We were in the garden talking about the thrushes and the phoebes and the linnets when there came the whirr of wings and a morning dove alighted in a pear tree close to where we were standing. We looked at one another in wonder when the bird flew straight to one of us and alighted on his shoulder. From that day on, and for nearly a year, that morning dove was our household pet. 
It went in and out and on our heads and shoulders, slept on the picture frames or the curtain poles or the cupboard doors. It ate only bird seed, which the canary left when it flew away, and a very few breadcrumbs. We knew it to be a female because it lacked the shining tints and velvety spots of the male. It went away one day, but returned after several weeks and seemed glad to be back again. We learned to love it very much, and strangers wondered when they came to see us. The first thing a visitor would know when seated was a flutter from the next room and the dove alighted on his or her hat. This is the only bird on a lady's hat which we have ever enjoyed looking at, and the only one we have ever seen which had a natural look. If the visitor were a gentleman, the dove flew straight to his bare head and peered over his forehead as if to see what color his eyes were. But Dovey always preferred ladies and girls, and children she loved, flying back and forth from one another as if delighted to see them. In spring she began to peep into the closets and over the shelves, and in the baskets and hats and paper bags. All the time she would coo low to herself and sometimes fly to our shoulders and rub her pretty head on our cheeks and caress our faces with her beak. One day, one of the family was making ginger cookies and went to the closet for the spices. There, on top of the spice box, was a handful of twine, and in the middle of the twine, a white egg. After this, during the summer, Dovey made seven nests and laid seven eggs. She never laid more than one egg in the same place, and the nests were light and loose, just as the nests of the morning dove are made in the wilds. No attempt at building up the sides or at soft linings. Sometimes she took only bits of white cloth and strings, and twice she went to the work basket and selected pretty bits of lace and baby ribbon. This particularly nice nest she made on top of the piano in the parlor, under the breasts of a couple of stuffed white ptarmigan. She made one nest on the library shelf, one in the crown of an old hat on the back screen porch, one on the shelf in the clothes closet, and one between two pegs where clothes were hanging. There happened to be a dress sleeve caught a slant of the two pegs, and on this she made her nest and laid her egg. The whole story of our dovey would make several chapters. We have told enough about her to make you wish that you had a wild dove come to you and live in your house for a whole year. When you are out in the fields or foothills and see the doves, Please call, dovey, dovey, and perhaps our pet will come to you. But do not shoot her. Indeed, no hunter could have the heart to shoot her, for if she saw him in time, she would fly straight to his shoulder and say, Coo, coo. End of chapter 2